Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Well, 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 well. We got a weird one today. Yeah. A good weird one. Yeah. No, just uh, uh, a return. A return and also not a walk down memory lane. No, we're we're being timely with this. We're doing it now. We're going to, I'll post it in the wee hours of tonight so people can listen to it driving tomorrow. Yeah. We are recording it on Monday night before we release it on Tuesday or Monday afternoon before we release it on Tuesday. We Think- thought we would take a step back a little from what we normally do. It's the week of our huge event, Hoosier Hysterics Homecoming. It's it's here. It is here. It is in uh it is in f- five days. That is just nerve wracking, man. It is just nerve wracking. I was waiting for the butterflies to hit me as you said it. They didn't, but it really I, well, I mean, but again, they they have several times recently. I don't know exactly when they'll hit, but it's like a wave of realization washes over me that like this is on we are doing this in a huge way and we are doing it we are doing it we are doing it with ooey barbecue we are doing it with several former iu players tons tons i'm saying it's like if double digits if you combined all their weight like several tons of (laughs) former iu players uh what i really love about it is that we are going to have people that played for the 75 team, and we are going to have people that played in 2016. So, I mean, we are spanning over 40 years of Indiana basketball. And, uh, and, and I'll be actually even further back because Bob Hamill, legendary IU writer, who I don't know when he started, but it was before 75. Our, we're going to be seriously repped journalistically here. When you're talking about Bob Hamill, Sage Steele, um, Todd Leary and John Leskowski, and now Tyra Buss. You know, we're talking about a lot of both former players who became yeah. broadcast journalists, uh, and then just people like Bob and Sage who are legends. And then, of course, let's not forget the royalty from the site that makes all this possible. We are Jeff Rabjohns. I'm waiting for Powered By. 
I mean, come on. I'm, I was just walking you down the primrose path. You know, and you what? just stared at me like you knew what I was doing. What I was so upset about was that I I had meant the whole reason I was going to talk about journalists is because of who our guest was I know, and today. Then you forgot. Oh well, no, I didn't realize you were setting me up. Uh, I, well, you, I did forget. Yeah. I did forget. <laughs> and then you were trying to prompt me into the powered by pigs take that jeff dix <laughs> that Totally made up for botching the the segue into it. Uh, oh. But we've got Mike Pegram's coming, Jeff Rabjohn's coming, Ken Bykoff's coming. I'm not sure. Matt Weaver's probably, he, he might be at the Penn State game. He might Where's, be is Happy Trevor Valley. around? Does Trevor live nearby? I don't know if Trevor's coming. We should invite Trevor. I haven't have not had any interactions with Trevor, but of course he is welcome. His his scouting reports have been really great. I love reading them. Yeah, and, so, and when he jumps in on the uh, the forums too, it's nice to, to get insight that way. I... I just want to take a minute to be uh, sappy, if I may. Sure. And I'm sure I'll get like this at the event, too. You're going to cry at the event. <laughs> I might. I was thinking about it on the drive over here to to do this interview that we're going to do today. That, I mean, clearly you and I grew up loving Indiana basketball, which was synonymous with Coach Robert Montgomery Knight. I the mean, general. He, he was as big of a figure in any Indiana fan's life as any adult figure was, right, outside True, of your parents. Yeah, truly felt like a member of the family. That, yeah. is, that is not an exaggeration. No, he, I mean, I grew up going to synagogues. The rabbi at our synagogue never had the same place in my family as the aura that Bob Knight cast over you. And and Coach Knight, because he was there for so long, connects so many of the players. He connects Calbert Chaney to John Leskowski, right? He yep. connects... Uh, A.J. Moye, in some way, to John Leskowski and Steve Green. And that spans over 30 years. But I was thinking, like, and then obviously there's been 20 years since Coach Knight. And and his his indelible mark on the program still remains. But the program has gone on, as, it, as everything does. It's crazy you put it that way. I'm like, oh, half my life has been without Coach Knight. Right, now. but it doesn't feel that way, does it? Like, Because he is so bedrock no, of what Indiana is. Yeah, he, it's like him in Assembly Hall. They're, right. they're forever. So I was then just thinking like, okay, but then obviously Indiana overall is the connective tissue that connects it all. Mm-hmm. But it's more specific than that. It's the fans. I mean, it is the fans. It is the people that go on the Pigs message boards. It's your dad. It's my dad. It's my mom. It's it's uh, the people that we've talked to. It's it's a Bob Hamill. It's, it's the fans that yep. connect it. And this event is our chance to be around like-minded people who connect us to every part of Indiana basketball. Well, think about Steve Green being there. Steve Green grew up a huge fan of Indiana basketball. He went to Coach McCracken's basketball camps. He got to meet Coach Dean, who preceded Coach McCracken. Then he became an IU legend on arguably the greatest college basketball team of all time. And now he's going to be at the event. All that history, all that fanhood, as a kid growing up, as a player for the program, now as an adult who went through the whole Bobby Knight divorce uh, from the program and has come back around and been welcomed back into the program, uh, first through Coach Crean and now through Archie. It's like they're just in one man. 
pretty much the better part of the entire IU right. history, you could walk up and buy them a drink at the Bluebird. Yeah. Or if you have or, a ticket left, just give them a ticket. That's exactly right. It's just, uh, I'm just looking so forward to being, when I get nervous about everything that's happening there, I just think about, we're going to be around people that get it. That you just get it. And Indiana basketball is more than just a game. It's meaningful in a tangible way to those of us that feel its meaning. And we get to be around a bunch of people who feel the same exact way from all eras. And your dad's going to be there. My dad's going to be there. It's just really exciting that we get to be surrounded by family, friends that we've known for a while, friends that that we've met because of Indiana, and friends that we're going to meet that day. New friends. And and the truth is, us doing this podcast, we're coming up on the year anniversary. I mean, it's almost a full year. We started our first one, I looked back, was like December 7th. Yeah, no, it's nuts. It's been a crazy year. That this event is happening before our one-year anniversary is bizarre. It is. It's a nice kind of celebration of it. I'm just so excited. And... uh, can't wait to see everybody there. If you are looking for tickets and haven't had a chance to get them yet, you can go to eventbrite.com and search for Hoosier Hysterics. It'll pop up. The event right now is sold out, but every few hours, an Indiana fan who is conscientious enough to know that they can't use their ticket, they they get in touch with us and, and we open them back up to the market. So you can just keep going back to that page. Also, feel free to tweet us uh, at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics. We, if you desperately looking for tickets, we can try to get you on top of the list to to get you in. We want as many fans there as we can get. Uh, it is twenty one over. Uh, I, I did not make that abundantly clear at the beginning because we didn't know it was going to be at the Bluebird. We tried to get an exemption. We can't. You have to be twenty one to get in because it is a bar. I'm sorry. Uh, so if you got the little kiddos, just we... leave them on the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, Bloomington... safe. Bloomington's a safe town, though. It sounds like it's going to be cold and maybe snowy is it no, snowing no, back I, there it's snowing right now but right. but the weather forecast for saturday is like high of like 47 and and no precipitation that is unbelievably cold <laughs> <laughs> that's right there from the la guys uh anyway really excited about it but super excited to have a return guest for this one where we get to take a step back from going down memory lane and focus on the here and now of Indiana basketball. What's going on after just two games? We're 2-0. and And a look to the future. And a look to the future. Should we just get to it? Yeah. Who's your hysterics? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, somebody came back. Somebody came back. Shockingly, that somebody would actually return. Uh, it's it's really cool. This is this is the person who chose to return. Would you like to go ahead and introduce him? I would. And I think last time I went through various nicknames, but he is the rabbi of recruiting. <laughs> I mean, he is the rabbi of recruiting. He is simply put, and and I am not this is not just me saying this. Other people in this business have said it. This guy is simply the best in the industry at what he does, covering college sports, his his sources, his uh, insight, his knowledge of the game, uh, his relationships with everybody from parents to AAU coaches to high school coaches to, to podcasters to podcasters to current coaching staffs. Uh, this guy is as connected as anybody can possibly be. And news today just breaking that in some ways it's been recognized because he is also now an official voter in the AP poll for college basketball, which is very exciting. Please welcome 
the rabbi of recruiting, Jeff Rabjohns. Guys, you are too kind, man. You are way too kind. How are you? <laughs> We're good. How are you? Man, I am terrific. It's basketball season. It's a great time of year. Right? This is what we've all been waiting for. No Talk. doubt. No doubt. Hey, we've, gone, we've gone from uh, uh, talking season to actual basketball season. Yes. Now we have games to talk about, performances to talk about, kind of put the projection stuff a little bit to the side for the moment and see who's actually doing what. Well, let's let's talk about how you became an AP voter. I think that's the breaking news. That's such an interesting world you have now entered. How did it come about? Oh, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I, you know, I know some of the guys at the Associated Press and the guy uh, in Indiana, Mike Merritt, um, is a guy who's been a friend of mine for a long time, and he knows uh, Robbie, the guy out in New York who runs the AP poll on a day-to-day basis. And he said, "Hey, you know, we need to get some some new blood in here. Um, we want some, you know, some different voices. I got a guy here who's just an absolute basketball dork, meaning me, and I accept that uh, analogy or that moniker and, and, and embrace it, as a, you know, a badge of honor." <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we talked and they said, yeah, they said, uh, jump in. We'd love to have you join the join the AP poll. So really, really excited about that, um, to have a chance to, to, to be on the AP poll to vote nationally. Uh, and, and it's something that it's a lot of fun, but, but I do take it seriously and make sure that uh, follow the rules. You know, you can't be a homer toward the team you cover, your geographic region. It's got to be a national opinion. So uh, I do take it seriously, but there's no question. It is a lot of fun. Well, it seems like a natural fit for a man of such integrity and knowledge that even with IU basketball, you're always clear to point out that you are a journalist. You're not like Eric and I, just just <laughs> just idiotic fans who uh, only look through things with crimson colored glasses. You always have a wonderful objectivity about your assessments of Indiana basketball, and, and we definitely want to get into that today. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I think people saw that I was completely objective because I had to be fair and I had to vote Kentucky number one. And if mm-hmm. you're voting Kentucky number one, you're definitely being objective and fair. Yeah, um, yeah. It yeah. still kind of made me, I, yeah. it made me I nauseous just hearing that reaction from you guys. Oh. Yeah. I knew that was coming. Oh. And I totally understand <laughs> it. I understand the reaction. I totally get it. R- Rabbi, uh, here's a question. I, I always think of this with anybody voting in these polls. How many games have you seen like Baylor play this year? Uh, I've only seen Baylor highlights. So um, how do you rank 1 through 25? How does anyone rank 1 through 25 when you have to rank teams that – I mean, there's 350 college basketball teams. How in the right. world do you rank a top 25? How do you even go about starting there? I mean, ranking Kentucky and Duke and, you know, I get those. Michigan That's State. pretty easy lifting. Yes. Yeah. But, but how do you get – when you get past five – how do you do it? Okay, here, here's what I did. Um, the preseason poll is actually the most difficult because you got to look at rosters. you got to look at uh, what players did who are returning. And you also have to look at, okay, are the players returning any good? I mean, if a team was 500 last year and has five guys coming back who are just okay players, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a lot better just because they have returning players. I mean, if you've got a bunch of players who, who rate probably six on a – one to ten scale, and they're juniors already, they're probably not going to all of a sudden blow up as seniors, so are they going to be a lot better? Probably not. You look at recruiting, um, not only influx of high school talent, but JUCO kids, uh, grad transfers who are going to have impact, that kind of thing. 
Um, you, you look at some of the metrics. Uh, Bart Torvik stuff is really, really good. Um, and then you also get on the phone. I mean, I called a lot of people and I talked to a lot of assistant coaches. I mean, I talked to assistant coaches from the Pac-12, the Mountain West, uh, the Big 12, obviously a lot of guys in the Big 10 because I know pretty much somebody at every staff except for maybe Rutgers right now. Um, does Rutgers have awesome. a staff? Do, does Rutgers yeah. have a basketball staff? I wasn't aware of that. Was... They do. They're, I think they're actually, they're going to be better in Northwestern Nebraska this oh, year. I think. Boy, uh, there are some so bad you, teams in the Big Ten. Some real are. bad teams. So, but I mean, having conversations with assistant coaches is part of it. Um, and and are you, you also t- got to factor in they're probably going to talk up their own league, which is okay. I'd rather right. them give me the reason somebody might be good, and then I can sort of vet it vet it out. And early in the season, it's tough because people, most teams have played like one or two games. So it's really sort of, you're still kind of in opinion mode right now. Um, now, one of the directives from the AP is you need to base it on results, not what you think team's going to be, you know, you know, down the road once games start. That's hard when teams have played one or two games, especially when a lot of teams are still in tune-up mode. But you do the best you can. Uh, and, and you look at you look at box scores, see who's doing what, look at who they played. Um, you look at some, some advanced analytics to try to give yourself the best handle you can. Uh, but the other thing I do is I, I think I've got every basketball package on TV you can get. And I do try to – I mean, I've got a list. What I do is operate off of a top 50 list, okay, and then – make my top 25 off of that. Because really, if you're not in the top 50, you're probably not in the conversation. But right. what I try to do is, you know, try to DVR the heck out of stuff. And, and anybody who I think is good or anybody, like, you know, might be good, it's like I try to DVR a game, and then I'll go back, and when I'm up late some night, you know, I'll try to watch it. And obviously, if it's on DVR, you can fast through commercials and nonsense. And you can get a game in, kind of blow through free throws a little bit in commercials, get a game in in about 42 minutes real time, sometimes a little bit less. And if it gets lopsided at the end, they're up 20. You don't need the last two, three minutes. So I do try to watch a lot. I mean, I think over the last couple of years, I've averaged like 122 to 128 teams watched on the DVR. Wow. That is incredible. So the, the, the I think the question that every Indiana fan would want to know right now is if the Top 25 list got expanded, and you had to give us the full list. Where does Indiana rank right now based on what you know is back, what you've seen in the first two games and the exhibition game? Where would you rank Indiana? What range? I got, I got a 49th on my 1 through 50 list right now. Um, now, a little bit of that is projecting. because Obviously, Devontae Green is not back at all. Rob Finnessy is not healthy enough to start. So you're still kind of projecting. Um but again, a lot can happen in the first month of a season. And really, once we get to December, assuming Indiana's healthy, then we'll start to get a really good gauge of, of what they are, you know, when they start hitting major conference, conference opponents. But I got them 49th right now. Um, some of the metrics have them in the 50s. Um, I know some other people who vote on the AP poll who do a similar thing that I do. Some other people I talk to have got them like around 41, 42. Um, so I think in the forties right now is reasonable. All right. So I'm just going to skip to this question because Ward and I talk about this all the time. Yeah. I'm going to say something and I want you to either argue it, like tell me why I'm wrong or, or tell us why it has validity. Okay. Little game. All right. This is Archie Miller's third year. This is Chris Mack's second year. This is Chris Holtman's third year. All schools around the same geographical area, 
similar, you know, in the same ballpark of resources. Two of them are in the same conference. The other one's in a major conference. Indiana should be further along than in Jeff Rabjohn's 49th spot going into year three. Forgetting all of the excuses that we know about, they should be further along when Ohio State and Louisville clearly are further along. Am I wrong? I think I don't know what to say you're wrong. I think there's some validity to that. Um, I do think the roster was better when Chris Mack arrived. Um, I mean, he had Jordan Nora, who right. uh, got um, you know votes for preseason All-American. When Archie Miller arrived at Indiana, there was nobody on that roster you would vote for preseason All-American. Uh, Chris Holtman took over. Roster was a little bit better. And their recruiting, um, I think, has been just about half a notch better uh, than Indiana so far. Uh, certainly with uh, getting DJ Carton, Lonzo Gaffney, some of those guys. But there were more players already on the roster who were capable of helping you win games in your league at Louisville and at Ohio State. Uh, and that's just the honest lay of the land. So, so some people would say, oh, those are excuses. I don't think those are excuses. No, the reasons. The reasons. Where things are, are where they are. So, so I think there's some validity to your to what you're saying. But I think that is one of those things that that's several pieces to the puzzle. I don't think that's actually the whole puzzle. And I think when you look deeper, I think you kind of understand they were starting at different points. And if this was a 100-yard dash, Ohio State and certainly Louisville, Nora, and guys at that level – they were starting further up the line. Can, so, so wait, wait. So, so basically, Rabbi agrees with me. Well, <laughs> I, we didn't go into the whole thing of where you and I disagreed. I, I was saying that at this point, compared to Louisville, for sure, Indiana is drastically behind where Louisville is. And I was arguing program. it's relative to where they began. We're not drastically far behind. We started what? further behind. No, like, it's relative. Rabbi just said... Yeah, but Archie you had less are drastically far behind, or you're not. No, no, I'm. No, I'm saying compared to where they started and the journey they have to go on. No, he's 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 if if he has another year. Wait, this is what it came down to, and I think we talked to Rabbi about this last time. We want to know if you're going to be able to tell by the end of this season. Oh, I wasn't even going there. I just think that's that, where I'm going. I just think right now we're we're clearly behind those two. Yes, the cupboard was more bare for us than it was them. I agree with that. Here's my bigger question, so we don't devolve into just an argument between me and Ward. It here. was semantics. Um, can I? I still... by, by the way, I, I, get, I get the sense you two occasionally have some very entertaining debates. Am I wrong? <laughs> and you are not wrong. We started a podcast because of it. Well, I'll say they were debates. I don't know how entertaining they are. Um, here, here is what I really want to know that I think Ward and I can agree on. Are you giving us permission then, Rabbi, to blame Tom Crean for at least one more year? Can we just get one more year to blame Crean? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I, you know, I, I'm kind of, and again, I don't necessarily look at it as blame as far as it's sometimes things are just reality. And, you know, Tom Crean was let go for two main reasons. And you can put him in whichever order you want. You know, he lost the state in recruiting. I think everybody knows about the stretch there where, you know, IU went over uh, on nationally ranked kids in the yep. state. You're never going to get everybody because the state is over recruited to a, a, an incredible level. You can't go over. OK. And so that was a problem. And he had a roster that had, you know, multiple pros on it, uh, including two guys in the NBA, you know, Gian and Obi uh, and Thomas Bryant. And they didn't even make the NCAA tournament. And then they went to the NIT and didn't even win an NIT game. 
Uh, so there was a question of what's happening on the court with the talent. And then obviously OG leaves, uh, Thomas Bryant leaves, and, and, and James Blackman leaves. And obviously James is playing very, very well overseas and has been for a couple of years. So those are the reasons that the change occurred. And then you look at the roster that existed when the coaching change happened. And there really weren't very many impact guys who were actually on the roster. I mean, you really right. only had one guy um, who was on the roster at the time of the coaching change, uh, who is, you know, expected to be an impact player, and that's Devontae Green. And so that's how much changeover there's had. And if you look at Louisville, I mean, you know, Jordan Orr was, you know, he's really good. He's a senior. Uh, Dwayne Sutton, solid, you know, uh, Mark Kimball. There are just more upperclassmen who are there who can do things. Um, again, that's not an excuse. It's just reality of the situation. Well, and you have been the one preaching patience on the the Pigs website of stacking classes. And while we're watching the Portland State game, I'm discouraged for various reasons. The fact that that game was as competitive as it was, and you can go into the details of, of why that was, but I was also excited seeing how many freshmen and sophomores were out there. A lot of them who've had very little on-court experience because of injuries, redshirt, what have you, who are sure. just starting to find uh, themselves as players, uh, chemistry as teammates. I am I just looking through those crimson-colored glasses to be excited that we have so many of these freshmen and sophomores who are going to be playing together for the next two, three, four years? No, I don't think that's crimson-colored glasses stuff. I think you have to take into account experience level of players in the program they're playing for, as well as experience level overall. Um, you know, Joey Bronk is 21 years old, and he's got experience. But this is his first year playing the pack line defense. This is his first year playing at Indiana. This is his first year with all these teammates. So you have to take into account both experience overall. Is the kid just a freshman? Is he a grad transfer? What have you? And experience in a program, in a system. So you've got... Um, Trace Jackson Davis, true freshman, Joey Bronk in his first year, Jerome Hunter didn't play their practice last year. So he is from a playing standpoint, he's a first year player, Armand Franklin, first year player, Demisey Anderson, a second year player who barely played last year. So you've got guys who really don't have experience and it does take some time for a group to look like a cohesive unit. Um, and the other thing about the first couple games, you know, Archie Miller wanted to look at some lineup combinations in the first half of those first two games, Western Illinois and Portland State. There was going to be some really choppy play, and we saw it, because he wanted to put some lineups out there, leave them out there for three or four minutes, and get a look at them, try to figure out, is this any good or not? Because uh, you can practice all you want, but until guys get in games, until they get out there with the lights on and, you know, assembly hall crowd cheering and that kind of stuff, you don't know. You can have an idea, but you don't necessarily know. So some of the first half choppiness was due to looking at lineups. Um, IU obviously played very, very well in the second half of Western Illinois. They played better in the second half against Portland State, but they weren't great. They really weren't. Portland State defense in that game was eh, a pedestrian at best. Let's be really honest. Yeah, I here. think you're being you're being kind uh, there. I don't even think the staff of Indiana would call it pedestrian at best. I mean, like, no, you, I'm saying I'm trying to use a PG-13 word. Here yeah, in public, why? But, you know, it was shit. It was shit. I mean, like, we don't have to. I mean, Archie Miller would have used that word if he could have, you know. I mean, by the way, here's how you know how bad Archie Miller thought that they played. 
when he got the load management question Ooh. in the press conference and turned his ire on that question, clearly a dumb question. So angry. But if Archie was in a good mood about that game, he doesn't react that harshly to that question. Probably so. He was upset, justifiably so. The t- and Archie thinks of himself as a defensive coach. That's his system. You know, the offense, they will figure out. But he's defense first because you can control defense because so much of a, about it is about effort and not necessarily a skill. You know, you have to develop the skill. They didn't perform, and, and they haven't, and he hasn't liked how they've looked in practice. He's said it in press conferences. It was just right. a poor performance overall. It was poor. It was poor. Yeah. When you, when you give up, you know, 1.07 points per possession to Portland State, you didn't play good defense. You know, anything, you know, a good defense – 0.8 points per possession or lower is pretty good. Um, anything for an offense around one or above one is good. So Portland State was better offensively than Indiana was defensively in that game. And that doesn't speak well for, for IU and how they played. Now, part of that is because Devontae Green is out and because Finnessy is still limited in minutes, IU is playing multiple bigs. And they're playing multiple bigs against teams. The first two teams basically played – Guards and wings and one post player. So at times you've got Trace Jackson Davis or Justin Smith um, or every once in a while Joey Brunk trying to chase either guards or wings, which they're not good at. Um, and so that's a little bit of it. They're playing defensively against the type of player they're not made, they're not built to defend, that they're not good at defending. So that's part of it. I do think the defense gets better when IU can actually put more uh, appropriate lineups out there as far as if the other team is playing a point guard and, and three wings, then you've got at least a chance to put out some combination of Finnessy, Al Durham, Devontae Green, or Armand Franklin. And then obviously Justin Smith can chase somewhat, but Justin's really built more to defend Lamar Stevens of the world than he is the quick 6-3 guards. Right. But one of the big problems that IU had in the Portland State game was allowing eight made threes. That's just not closing out properly. It's one thing if you close out and the guy gets by you because you're 6'9", 240, and that kid's 6'4". But if you're not closing out, if you're not really challenging threes, that's just poor defense. And I think there were stretches in the Portland State game where it was just straight up, let's be honest, it was poor defense by IU. Yep. And, and do you see that as, as an effort thing? Or what what is keeping them from closing out on those because as I understand it closing out on three pointers is sort of the third priority in the pack line defense you got on ball pressure you've got obviously you know packing it into the lane if somebody's you know pen- penetrating and then third you got to get out and close out on those three point shooters which is going to be even further out than ever before this season so and I feel like now Archie's starting to get some of that length with some of his players to get out there so why why didn't they do it against Portland State yeah, I mean, part of it was just bad defense. Um, Meaning I mean, effort they, they, or or not knowing that they should be closing out? Because you can try to do something and not do it well. Mm. And I think they tried. They just didn't do it well. And, again, the other part of it was sometimes you had Trace at 6'9", 240, trying to close out on, on a three-point shooter. He's not good at it. Um, there were a couple of times you, the, the, you actually had Joey, and then there was one. there was two possessions where Deron Davis was trying to close out on a three-point shooter. And th- those two guys have – things they can do inside the paint, but they can't close out. They just can't get there. Um, and the other part of it is um, when you're down in your backcourt defensively, you don't have the ability to extend a little bit to create ball pressure because ball pressure is 
you know, part of it is on the ball. But the other part of it is don't allow the guy to see a bunch of easy passing lanes. Mm. Because even if you're up on him, but he knows I can hit my guy on the left, I can hit my guy on the right, I can hit my guy on the high post, I've got three easy passes to make, then he doesn't really feel pressure, okay? Real ball pressure is when the guy in front of him is pressuring him, making it hard to dribble, making it hard to drive left or right, and it's tough to make passes. Both those things are parts of it. And I think IU was, I think, and this is just my opinion, I think they were a little afraid of coming too far out for fear of just getting backdoored or having people go around uh, some of the forwards, especially in the Portland State game, because Portland State had two guys who could make threes and a couple guys who could drive. Um, but again, and part of it was they just weren't good at, at getting out there on the three-point shooters because they have two guys who are main three-point shooters, and they let those guys combine for eight made threes. And like Archie said, you do that most nights, and you're getting beat. So because Ward has rubbed off on me a little bit, and I'm trying to uh, be more optimistic about just life in general, <laughs> let's talk about a couple optimistic things that have happened. And, and truthfully, most of these fall in the category of individual performances and not as the team. But if I had to pick two things over the first two games that make me the happiest, and it's tough to just do two, but I, or, or things I'm most surprised by, I put Race Thompson and Justin Smith kind of 1A and 1B, and Al Durham is very close behind there. But Race may be the biggest surprise because it was the lowest expectations. And the guy looks like a real contributor. He's not shooting from the outside, even though we were told kind of that that could be part of his game potentially to help spread the floor. But he's moving well. He looks like he plays really good defense. And he's finishing at the hole when it's his you know when he gets a put back or or wide open he he finishes strong it's been really fun to watch the kid play for a guy who's just dealt with injury after injury what's your take on those two guys two mini race and who else and justin justin oh yeah i think those guys have been really good to start and i think race um is going to be even better as things move along because i still think He's better when it's more physical, when, when, when there's more contact to not only draw but to initiate. Um, I think he's a guy whose blockout rate is going to be really, really high. And that's going to be important because IU actually has guards who can go in and get rebounds if there's a lane. But for guard rebounding to occur, the bigs have to be really good at blockout rate. And that's something that all coaches uh, chart. So I think race is going to be really, really helpful. Um, and, and obviously he's, you know, he's getting some points inside where it's not coming off of the offense necessarily. He's getting a put back. He's getting something where there's a little bit of a scramble and he, you know, he kind of pops free right there by the block. Um, so I think those are things, uh, that are really good, um, for him, uh, w- without Durham, I think the key thing is that, you know, he's come in and he's looking like a guy who for the first of all, has an improved shot. That was a really big thing. You know, his, his shooting was going to have to improve. And he starts off first two games, goes four for seven from three. That's really good. Um, he's 14 for 18 from, from the field overall, seven for seven from the line. Those are really good numbers. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, that's 90 some percent from two, 57 percent from three, a perfect thousand from the line. Those are really, really good numbers. And so I think, I think, I think it's really notable how well he has played. Uh, to start the season. And I think that's something that he's do. I think what he's doing are things that can translate throughout the season. Um, because it's not just like, okay, like with Trace. Trace has had a good start to the season. You know, 10.5 points per game, 
you know, eight rebounds. That's good for Trace. Right. But some of those things he's getting because he's just a pogo stick inside and he's just going up over smaller guys. He made a so, move. Some of that will work in, yeah. the, in the Big Ten. Some of that's not going to work in the Big Ten. You know, Justin, right now, some of the stuff on his drives is going to work. Some of it's not. Some of those, some of those lanes are going to close a lot faster in the Big Ten. But he's making plays that he can make. He's, he's really shaved off. Bad decisions. He shaved off trying to fan- finish fancy. He shaved off some of these jelly roll, finger roll things that he tried last year when you looked at him and went, dude, you're eight inches above the rim. Dunk the ball. Um, and I do think the staff's message has been received as far as when you go, you freaking go. Okay. Don't, don't take one dribble and kind of look around and then go. Not t- don't hesitate. If you're going to go, go. And if you got a chance to attack the rim, attack the rim. You know, I think they would rather he get a charge. And try to do something fancy and miss it or throw the ball out of bounds trying to make one of these risky passes. Well, I was just going to say, because there have been a couple moments in the first couple games where he has decided to become a playmaker and tried to pass, and they almost always end up in a turnover. Uh-huh. I mean, he got, there was one in the first game where he got the ball under the bucket and tried to do like a quick touch pass, I think, to Trace turnover. In this last game, he tried to do one where he tried to drive and dish. That's just not his game. I think you're right. Like when he goes, he's such a physically gifted guy. Just we'll take our chances with you trying to dunk the ball. Well, it's it's almost like the the bigger inside version of Devonte, where the the coaching staff is recognizing these guys have a, a very special skill set, and that just do that and leave leave the ball handling. Um, you know, primary yeah. uh, uh, playmaking to to hopefully it's going to be a healthy Rob and Al when he comes in. One person uh, that I think obviously had a stronger performance against Western Illinois was Armand, and and I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about what you've seen from him early on and and his level of aggression, particularly in the Western Illinois game. I think was something we saw from the whole team of like defense turnovers turns into a very aggressive push up the court to get some buckets. Um, what are you seeing from from Armand and how is that sort of reflecting Archie's overall philosophy to turn defense into offense? Well, I think that's he's he's definitely a part of it. And he's playing a lot more now total minutes than he's probably going to play later because Finnessy's still somewhat limited. I mean, he's played 21.5 minutes per game. But when he's fully healthy, he'll play more. And obviously, Rob hasn't even started at point guard yet, which he will when he's healthy. And Devontae hasn't played at all. Uh, so you have Armand Franklin averaging 24 and a half minutes per game. He's not going to average that throughout the season. But what he's done is he's gotten himself to the point. The coaches are confident putting him out on the floor. Um, if, if they weren't confident, he would not have started his first two college games at Indiana. Um, he's been pretty good handling the ball. Uh, eight assists, two turnovers, your first two college games. Again, playing 24 and a half minutes per game. That's really good. Uh, he is best as a driver right now. Um, I think his shot's going to be okay in time. I don't expect him to be a big shot maker as a freshman. Didn't expect that coming in. But his three-point shooting did improve a lot his senior year at high school. Uh, Jason Delaney at Cathedral did a really good job working with Armand on his shot, and, and he shot almost 40% playing 4A ball in Indy, um, playing against very competitive teams. And the other thing about Armand was in a lot of games, um, especially his last two years at, at, at Cathedral, he was asked to be their leading scorer and often defend the other team's best player who was not a post player. So he's had a lot of tough defensive assignments. Now, there's still a learning curve between high school and being on a high major team. 
but he's got an attitude and aggression about him that, hey, why can't I go get minutes? Well, who says I, I can only play six, eight minutes a game? I'm going to go try to earn every minute I can. And he was incredibly aggressive all throughout the summer, all throughout the fall. He pushed the older guys, and he really showed the coaching staff, hey, I want to be on the floor. I'm going to show you in practice that you can trust me on the floor when the scoreboard's running. And that's the big thing. He, that's the biggest thing he's done. Um, you know, he's, he's solid at passing the ball when passes are there. Um, obviously by, you know, eight assists, two turnovers. He's not a big creator as far as like fantasy can create the pass. Armand's much more, he'll make the pass when it's there. He does have good vision, Armand, I mean, on the drive, but there's a difference between making the pass that's there and moving the second defender with where you dribble and creating the pass. So Armand's not really true point guard, but he can play it and he can initiate some offense for you. So he's a really valuable piece, especially early in the season, while the backcourt is shorthanded for IU. This is why I love talking to Rabbi. I just learned something about basketball in a way, way I never thought about it before. Moving the second defender, me too. Yeah, yeah, it's like it turns it into a chess match all of a sudden. Right. I'm a checkers player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a tic-tac-toe yeah, I mean, that, that, That's something, you know, when, when you watch point guards, um, you know, some sometimes, especially in high school, you'll see guys who drive and, and the guy's wide open and he kicks it out and the kid makes a three and people go, oh, great pass, that kid's a point guard. Well, not really. Um, it doesn't mean they can't play some point. It doesn't mean they can't initiate some offense. But true point guards, what you want, be, what you want them to do is have the speed and vision and ability to, as they drive, they move the second defender. Maybe that's making a post player come out in the hedge. Maybe that's starting a drive and just making somebody like some of the stuff Michigan State and, and, and other teams do as far as like we're going to step out where you want to drive to make you think about that drive. He'll go right or left to move that second defender to set up the pass. And that that's one of the things that I think, and I thought this even when he was in high school in AU, um, that's one of the reasons I thought Finnessy was going to be a real solid point guard. He's not a five-star athlete. He's just not that fast. But, man, he really knows how to set up teammates and create the pass. He's also incredibly strong. I mean, his yeah. body as a freshman and what he did to transform his body from senior year of high school to just freshman year in those few months was impressive. And he looks, I mean, he just looks like he doesn't have 5% body fat. He just is a, like a built like a fire hydrant. Yeah. He's almost like a five foot 11 linebacker in a way. Right. So he yeah. really is. He's put together and it did help him. You know, he had a weightlifting class in high school in McCutcheon and while he never got big in high school, that gave him a real solid musculature base. So that when you take somebody and give them to to a Cliff Marshall, there's a base there to build on. Because sometimes when guys enter college, they really don't have a base. So the first thing you got to do is build the base, and then sometimes it's sophomore, junior, it's freshman year to sophomore year before you can really add anything. Finnessy had a base, and then boom, five months, whatever, June through November with Cliff Marshall. Then you all of a sudden start to get some mass, especially up top. I mean, I, this probably sounds weird to say out loud, but you know. You know, you, you, when you look at bodies and you actually study certain physiques, it's like he's got a little bit of the V to him. He's got a little upper body to him. He can take some blows inside, and those things help. And his strength really helps him on defense, which there's countless examples. But the last eight minutes last year of IU's home, home win over Michigan State, the way he defended Cassius Winston, if he doesn't have the strength he has, he can't stop some of those drives. Mm. Right. So we've gone about 30 minutes into this conversation, and I am sure that anybody listening to this who follows us on Twitter, 
who knows anything about you is just yelling at their uh, iPhones or Android devices listening to this, asking, why haven't you asked him about Dawson Garcia? Incredible <laughs> restraint by you, Eric. I tr- I've, been, I've been holding it back. So, <laughs> Rabbi, Dawson Garcia visited Marquette on his official visit, his senior year official visit, this last weekend. We are recording this on Monday around 1.30 Pacific Time, 4.30 East Coast time. What can you tell us, uh, if anything, uh, on where things stand right now? Sure, sure. Um, I think everybody understands, you know, there's the potential for some moving parts here uh, down the stretch. But here's here's kind of the lay of the land right now. Um, Indiana and Marquette have done the best job. Um, Marquette has been recruiting him the hardest, the longest. And Dawson and his and his family, uh, his parents, Dave and Stacy, great people, by the way, just a phenomenal family. Um, not that anybody cares much about that, but I just want to throw that oh, out no, there. Oh, no, no. We care very much if he commits to Indiana. <laughs> if he doesn't, right. then you're right. Nobody cares. <laughs> right, but I, but but they're a really, really cool family. Um, and if, if, if Dawson were to pick IU, people would be thrilled to have that whole family involved with IU basketball, as as, as a lot of families are. Um, but the family does value uh, – you know, volume of time involved in recruiting Dawson. They see it as coaches uh, have a limited time as a limited resource. And they look at, okay, these people have used their resources to invest in recruiting our son, in having a plan for our son's development, and in breaking down film, showing us how they would use their son. So that that is something that's significant. And Marquette, just by virtue of being in the hardest, the longest, is, is ahead in that category. And, and nobody else really is going to have time to catch up because this thing's going to end here in, in, in a week or two, most likely. Not definitely, but most likely. So Indiana and Marquette have probably done the best job. Um, Minnesota has jumped in really, really hard late, um, but they weren't really going hard uh, early on. And they're, they're sort of in the room somewhere, um, but I don't think they're the, – it, it would be a surprise for Minnesota to be a legit contender on decision day. Uh, Memphis has done a really good job. Um, Penny Hardaway and Mike Miller, uh, both obviously played in the NBA, had very good careers. Ward, Ward and I are both <laughs> Ward and I are both waiting to de- to say the same joke. So let's do both. Ward, you do your joke right now. Did they? Uh, did Penny move the Garcias to Memphis? <laughs> yeah, I, my joke was the same. So go, uh, go with that. It's good. It's a good joke. Um, but they've done a really good job of of showing. Dawson, here's what you are, here's what you can be, giving him some really good player comparisons that he's found attractive, and that's player comparisons of guys who are already in the NBA as far as going to Dawson and saying, hey, we can make you like so-and-so. Um, and they've done a really good job with that pitch, um, and that's interesting to the Garcias, and I think that's reasonable because, let's be really just straight up with this, you know I live in the real world, Dawson Garcia is going to be in the NBA at some point in time. Whether it's one year or two, time will tell on all that. But it's reasonable for a player who is almost certainly going to be in the NBA to look at how are you going to get me ready for when we're talking about millions of dollars. So those are the four schools that are, uh, I think, you know, seriously in the running. But Marquette and Indiana are, are up top. Um, the Marquette visit went really well, as you'd expect. Uh, Marquette did a good job. Uh, Steve Wojciechowski did a good job. His staff as well. Um, you know, Indiana obviously did a, did a really good job as well. You know, Indiana, with that official visit, really impressed the whole family with how big basketball is in Indiana, how much people are into it. Um, 
you know, I was talking to Dave, uh, his father, um, recently, you know, and he was talking about how, like, there were people in the parking lot when we pulled up. There, there were fans who showed up when we were eating lunch. He's like, he's like, these Indiana fans are crazy and they're awesome. Um, and then they, you know, when I was eating, uh, when I was up there in Minnesota eating with them, you know, Dave even mentioned, you know, y- your tweets and how cool it is. They were like, these guys actually take the time to think up something to tweet every day. And he had some printouts of them and he thought it was awesome. He thinks you guys are great. He I had mean, he's printouts? Like, he's like, he's like, he had some printouts. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he was like, he's like, this is how he's like, he's like, these guys are awesome. You know, he's like, they're so into it. And he loved the fact that you like dug up funny little things about Bloomington and, 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 and Milwaukee cities and all that kind of stuff. So then they really are enjoying um, how much the whole fan base is, the whole IU fan base is, is into Dawson. So that's something that, that's definitely been a very positive uh, experience. And I think um, obviously part of that is you, your tweets are uh, very well intended and in a very entertaining spirit. Um, and so that, that, that comes across as well. Um, but they were impressed with, with IU and just how big basketball was. They were impressed, you know, walking into Assembly Hall, seeing that place. I mean, Dave even said there were a couple different times. You know, he got goosebumps um, that, that being in different places at IU. Um, so it's tight right now. Um, Will, you know, going, going into November, yeah. you know, I think Marquette was clearly the team to beat. Um, the question was, you know, can IU uh, beat them? Um, you know, so we'll see. Now, right now, Dawson still wants to make a decision before the signing period ends. The signing period runs the 13th through the 20th. That's Wednesday to Wednesday. Um, so it's still likely he makes a decision um, in the latter half of the signing period, but it's it's not definite right now. They're not locking themselves in. They're stating, you know, hey, this is our goal, but if we're not sure, we're not going to force our son to make a decision until he's sure, and I think that's reasonable. Will Archie Miller and Tom Ostrom see Dawson Garcia and his family before he makes a decision? I, I think it's possible. Um, and again, some of that's going to depend upon, because the, uh, the dead period runs the 11th through the 14th. Uh, the dead period always starts on the Monday before signing day and runs until the day after signing day. So the dead period is always a Monday through Thursday, and the, the signing period starts on that Wednesday. So nobody, nobody's going to be able to do anything, um, and obviously we're sitting here talking on the 11th, so the dead period has started. Right. Nobody's going to be able to do anything until Friday. Um, so there's definitely a possibility that, that Archie Miller and Tom Ostrom um, get up there to see Dawson Garcia. Um, part of that's going to depend upon where Dawson's thinking is come Friday or Saturday. Right. Uh, it's also going to depend upon do the Garcias want more coaches to come up. Um, you know, Indiana definitely would like to go up. Memphis wants to go up. Uh, Richard Patino at Minnesota would like to, you know, come in, go to an open gym, go to a practice, something like that. Um, and my understanding is, I think Mar- if if my math is right, and we're counting on a sports writer's math here, so take take this <laughs> the great call. Um, I, th- I think Marquette staff still has one more uh, visit that they could make if they want to. So to answer your question, yes, yeah, possible Archie goes again uh, and, and sees him before he makes the decision. If we let's just take a, a somewhat pragmatic view here. Let's say we don't get us. Dawson. Yeah. Let's say we don't get Dawson Rabbi, Garcia. Rabbi. That's better for Rabbi. Um, if we don't get Darson Garcia, we know what the recruiting class is right now for next year, which is Trey Galloway, Anthony Leal, and Jordan Geronimo. 
three mm-hmm. guys who I think everybody is really excited about being Hoosiers, but none of the three do anybody really expect to have major impact their freshman year and maybe not even sophomore year. This recruiting class that Indiana put together in 2019-20 season had uh, obviously Trace Jackson Davis and Armand, and you could put Joey in there because Joey, you know, has got another year and he's a first-year player for Indiana. Trace is a really big impact player, and Armand could develop it in time. Are you at all concerned, looking at the recruiting outlook for Indiana, that they're not, they don't have that 2020 kid that's impact, big-time impact? And that will have that will be Archie's fourth year in Bloomington. Are we lacking enough of those players going into year four if we don't get Dawson? That's a good question. Um, I mean, Romeo was an impact player. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he's you know, gone. He, but he's gone. So it's all right. About, right. I'm, I'm just thinking through the classes yeah. that, that that are you know this staff's recruits. So basically, you had one clear impact player. In each of the first two classes, who was who was a, an immediate impact with, with Romeo last year, Trace Jackson Davis this year. Um, you got to throw Jerome Hunter in there somewhere. Um, obviously, he sat out last year, so that's a total scratch. Um, he's averaging eight points a game right now. Averaging eight points a game in your first year major college basketball—that's really solid. After taking and, a year uh, off of the game, I mean, that's really—I mean, Kyle Guy averaged seven point five points per game his freshman year at Virginia, and that was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, he walked into a good team, but still, you get around seven eight points per game. That's a solid impact for a freshman. Um, do they need more impact players? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting guys, you know, Leo Galloway and Geronimo level, but those guys are not instant impact guys. Those are guys who have impact more as upperclassmen. Um, and those do fit the whole idea of stacking recruiting classes. They fit the whole get old, um, stay old. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that's worked with, you know, a number of programs, but that takes time. And, And obviously, you know, the fan base is tired of, they don't want to hear about two years down the road. They really don't. No, that, you know, that's a lot really... of fans I hear from are like, "Hey, we haven't been relevant outside of a couple years for most of the last two decades. Why do we have to wait any longer? Let's do it right now." And I totally understand that. Um, and there's uh, there's part of that that is understandable, and I think there's part of that that isn't just about Archie Miller and this staff right now. I think it's just. You know, the last couple of years of Bob Knight weren't great. Mike Davis had one NCAA tournament run, but overall that didn't go well. The Kelvin Sampson thing was a grenade that blew up in everybody's face. Tom Crean had two good years out of nine. I think people are like, okay, let's get back to IU being IU, and we want it to happen. And damn it, we want it to happen now. We're sick of this crap. And I think some of that is just understandable emotion of a fan base that's used to being nationally relevant on a pretty annual basis, not being nationally relevant two years out of ten. Um so, yeah, I think, you know, as far as accelerating the process, there's no question Dawson Garcia would take Indiana from a good team next year to a team that could make a run in the NCAA tournament. Now, they might get there anyway. Um, I mean, you look at guys who are the leading scorers right now with Devontae being out, and you've got, like, the top seven of them coming back. Top eight, Justin Smith, Al Durham, Trace, Rob Fennessy, Joey Bronk, Jerome Hunter, Race Thompson, Armand Franklin, Demise Anderson. They're all going to be back next year. So, yeah, you're going to have a better team next year. But a Dawson Garcia level takes you from a team that you look at and say, mm, it's probably ranked 20 to 25 start the year, somewhere around there. Probably going to make the NCAA tournament, might win a game or two. You throw a Dawson Garcia on top of that, 
then it's a team that you look at and say, hey, probably a top 15 team. They could make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. They might be able to make a run. They might be able to pull something off and go to the Elite Eight. So he, it, he would, Dawson Garcia would accelerate the process by a full year. So I would. Does that make sense? Is that what you were asking? Yes, totally, totally. I think the big question is like you said, the fan base is anxious. Will I think anxious is putting it kindly. Yeah, I mean, it is. The it is. They're, they're, we are always, I'll just say we here, we are always and have been for quite some time right on the line of outright panic. Like all, like one bad game away from panic. That That is where the fan base has been pushed to because of not being nationally relevant. So right. even a game like Portland State, there is a bigger negative reaction to it than if Michigan State had a crappy showing against Portland State because you have the confidence at Michigan State that our teams get better. We're going to be in the Final Four at the end of the year. We don't have that. So, yes, we're always on the borderline of panic. I I was having an exchange with some other IU people this morning and basically said, look, I was only around Archie Miller for a weekend on the at the Vic IU camp and just got to, got to see him and experience what he's like and did just totally head over heels fall in love with him for it was, sure. It was intoxicating yes. for Eric. But but what you do realize about being around him is that you can tell like this is a guy who the longer you know him, the more time you get to spend with him, the more you like him. Like he's not a gregarious over the top personality. I I say all this because I think in a recruiting standpoint He's not the guy that blows away a recruit that has no connection to him at all. You know, whereas like a Chris Mack can meet with a Bryce Hopkins who just committed to him for one weekend. And he's this gregarious, over the top, big personality, a Calipari, you know, a Roy Williams. There are guys like that. Patino was like that, that you just immediately are like enveloped in their aura. That's not who Archie is, just as a human. The more time Archie gets to spend with somebody, like how hard Archie went after Romeo for that year plus that he was recruiting him, Romeo liked him more and more. And so right, what, right. I, what I, I say all that, and forgive the length here, I say all that because it just feels like the success of Indiana's program is just going to come down to one thing. It's not going to be, and again, I hope we get Dawson, of course, but if we don't, it's going to come down to how good of a coach is Archie Miller. And can he take these individual parts on this year's team specifically and make them as a whole greater than the sum of those parts? Because if he can, then we will have success and we will be fine because we will incrementally improve every year. That will impress more and more people and he'll build it that way. If he can't, then he's not going to be the guy that is able to just go and pluck a five-star who immediately changes your fortunes uh, from outside the state. Romeo and Trace are different stories because there is an Indiana connection there, and there's the love right. of the state that matters. But that's really the question, and will he have time enough to do it in the Matt Painter-esque way, let's just call it? Will he have the time at Indiana to incrementally improve and prove that he can take individual parts and make them greater as a whole? I don't, I, we don't know yet. I hope to God he can. But would you? Well, is that assessment fair? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of that that makes sense. I, I do think that the IU administration is going to give give him time. And part of that is they don't want IU to be a one-and-done factory as far as – there's nothing wrong with one-and-dones, 
but they don't want it to be three or four of them every year. And they don't want it to, they want it to be built with some stability. They want it to be kind of a traditional college basketball program. Freshmen come in, freshmen stay for four years. Um, they want it to get to the point to where next year's team is more dependent upon players already in the program than going out and getting a savior in recruiting every year. Now, you might get it some years, and obviously we just talked about how Dawson could accelerate this whole process by a year. He's that good. Um, if you took a Romeo Langford-level guy and put him on next year's team, it'd be a oh, totally different deal. I know. That, be- that's the shame of the Romeo thing. Romeo was awesome for Indiana. He really was. Third-leading freshman scorer in the country, played through injury, never complained. Like, the guy the guy deserves everybody's admiration. He really does. All the BS does. people were critical of him is just BS. That said, just in the grand scheme of things, he came two years too early. Yeah, it just yeah. we we unfortunately uh, wasted the yeah. talent that was Romeo Langford. Yeah, but then if Romeo doesn't come, does Trace come? Right. You know, no, do you we have Trace right. for the next couple of years? And and Rabbi, I loved how you just listed all of the players who are going to be back next year that have already been getting serious time on the court this year, and then you add Trey and Anthony and Jordan. And, and, you know, hopefully Dawson, but but let's concentrate on the three we know we have and who are going to be around for a while. That right. that that to me is is starting to shape up like a Virginia or a Villanova. And then because he's in Indiana and correct me if I'm wrong, but Archie is maintaining the respect and and the just the, the, the idea that people like him as a person within the state of Indiana, right? If you're not talking to to uh, Christian Lander's camp and people like that, if Archie isn't still maintaining a strong reputation inside the state, right? Not only do people like him, they respect him as a basketball guy. Yeah. And that that's something that, you know, he worked to develop uh, two parts. You know, one, get to know him. I mean, I think it was his third day on the job. You know, he's up here in Indy going to high schools and just making sure, hey, you know, and some high schools had players. Some high schools didn't have players right now, but they're the kind of schools that they're going to have players, mm-hmm. you know, uh, every other year, every three or four or five years. But programs you need to know, coaches you need to know. And he did a good job building relationships. And people respect him as a basketball guy. They see him as a genuine basketball guy. Um, and that's not to throw anybody under the bus. You know, we don't have to go back in time. But people, you talk to high school coaches around here, and they respect him as a basketball guy. And I think that helps. But you, know, you say basketball get, guy. That's like a guy born and raised, breathe, eat, sleep basketball. I mean, what are you, are they, those coaches who know way more about basketball than I do? Are Because it happened at Dayton. He got a, a team that had less talent to, to the Elite Eight. But mm-hmm. what what do you what do they see from these teams so far that can give us optimism and faith going forward that he will he will be able to get his players to live up to their potential on the court? Well, I mean, it has to happen on the court. But what you know, if you talk to high school coaches and even some AAU coaches around Indiana, guys who have been doing it for a long time, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, they see a guy who has a really solid fundamental approach. They see a guy who teaches the game in their view, 
correctly. Mm. They see a guy who's not trying to be, you know, the used car salesman and sell everybody a bill of goods. They see somebody who's genuine. Hey, here's where you are as a player, Ward. Here's what you do well. Here's what you don't do well. Here's what I can do for you. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's film of guys who we brought in who are like you. Here's what they look like as freshmen. Here's what they look like later in their careers. Um, people just see it as a genuine approach. Um, and they see it as something that's backed up by what he did with various players at various positions at Dayton um, and at IU. Um, and I think he's also gotten to the point, you know, he has trusted people. Um, and, and he's done a lot of things that basically just build goodwill. I mean, even little things. Like here, Here's a really small example. There's a kid from Southport who's getting – Southport High School here in Indy who's getting recruited by Western Illinois. You know, Archie lets the Southport coach bring that kid down to the Western Illinois game so that that kid can see, you know, how Western Illinois plays to help that high school out, help that kid oh, out. Wow, that's cool. You know, that kid's not – IU's not competing with Western Illinois for that kid. So, But a lot of coaches might not say, hey, yeah, come to the game even though the guy, the team we're playing is recruiting you. But Archie's like, hey, if it helps that kid out, we're happy to help that kid out. The little things like that, and coaches in the state of Indiana, I mean, there's a lot of them that know each other, and they talk. I mean, they talk a lot. And their views sort of kind of get spread out. And, yeah, some of these coaches like each other, don't like each other. But a lot of them talk to each other. And little things like that. I mean, I heard, hey, you know, a couple of coaches heard about that. And I got texts just out of the blue from high school coaches who were like, that was really bleeping cool what Archie did for that kid. You know, so little that, things that like takes, that help me as well. That takes a tremendous amount of confidence just in yourself to and, – and a total lack of insecurity – because I could imagine many coaches just wouldn't want to even waste their time with that. And and it's just nice to know that that Archie does things like that. Um, right. right. No, I, think, I, think, I do think, you know, obviously results on the court have to come at some point in time. There's no question about that. Yeah, you know, you, people can believe in you, see you as genuine and all that kind of stuff. At some point, results do have to come. It is a results-based business, but... What people see right now is a genuine basketball guy who's not a used car salesman, who has a plan, who has been in basketball his whole life, and you know when he gets it going, they feel like he's going to be able to keep it going. That's what they see right now. Well, Great. let's hope he gets it there. Now let's go on to some more fun questions. Rabbi, you coming to the event this weekend? Of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yes, that's right. You guys here heard it. Jeff Rabjohns will be at the event at the Bluebird on the 16th. It's going to be a really good time. The IU football game happens at noon. We will have the football game on uh, at the Bluebird, so that'll be fun. Hopefully we'll get a, a big win against Penn State, which would be just program-defining if that were to happen. Uh, when we talked to Snow many, many, many months ago, he told us a story without naming the coach, of course, where he said he knows of a coach who every day, when he's out recruiting, goes to the ATM, takes out the amount of money that the ATM allows him to take out, and by the end of that day, after being around a bunch of kids who he's recruiting, that money isn't in the coach's pocket anymore. So, Rabbi, don't name any names. What's the craziest, weirdest, strangest thing you've seen or you know that a coach has done to recruit a kid? Oh man! You gotta that give us give us some. No, no, don't. I'm not. No names. Don't even tell the school. Just, just give us some red meat here on the craziest thing you saw a coach or you know that a coach has done to get a kid. I mean, there are so many wild stories. Um, I think one of the one of the one of the craziest things was um, 
a kid was down to a handful of schools and on his visit, you know, they did all the normal stuff. Then they took him to the car dealer where the school has its quote <clears throat> car program. <clears throat> had the kid get out and a car salesman comes up and says, Hey, let's go for a ride. And they took him out in two or three really exotic cars. And the kid was like, that's really cool. And the coach looked at him and said, come here. You can drive each one of them. And he was like, what do you mean? And he's like, come, get keys, drive the car. Get tired of it, go get the other one. Get tired <laughs> of that one, go get the other one. And the kid went to that school. Wow. Boy, Calipari's really got it honed in, doesn't he? He's really – I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, th- the thing is, John Calipari would never – He's so good. He wouldn't put himself around uh, something that close. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, what What's a day like for you, Rabbi? Give us a typical day. Watching a lot of basketball yeah, these days. But, but, but obviously cultivating sources and that. Give us like you're in the middle of a recruiting battle right now with Indiana and Marquette for a five-star talent in Dawson Garcia. You've got the Indiana program playing games. You go to all the games. You cover them. Uh, obviously, 2021 uh, recruiting is happening because Blake Wesley will be on campus this weekend as well. W- what's a typical day for you? Give us, give us when you wake up, what you do. Just walk us through a typical day. Um, well, I mean, like uh, like today, uh, get up, head down to um, get well, get up, get on the message board, see if there's any like really really pressing questions. Try to answer questions in the morning, in the afternoon, and then the evening. But get up, try to check the board. Um, like today, it was in the car by about nine, heading down to IU for uh, football press conferences, and uh, make some calls, recruiting stuff, talking to high school coaches, AU coaches, whatever. While while you're on the drive, football press conferences end about one ish. Make sure to get that stuff posted. Um, head back, make some more phone calls while driving back. Um, come back, usually write a story, football or basketball uh, preview kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, I try to always make at least 10 calls per day, uh, on recruiting. And that might not necessarily be to a player, may not necessarily be to his parents or a specific coach, but I try to make at least 10 calls a day, just checking in on what's going on. Um, sometimes the guys are key targets like a Dawson Garcia, Trey Kaufman, a Christian Lander, what have you. Sometimes it's guys who are just kind of on the radar. You're just kind of checking in with them. But, but I always, my goal is 10 calls per day. So I do that. And then in the evening, um, you know, around dinner time, maybe a little after, if it's not a game, uh, try to work on uh, cutting up film or at least going back and watching film on recruits or what have you. Um, and then uh, turn around and do it the next day. Um, so that's and obviously Monday, do Monday night chat at nine thirty, but that's only one day a week, but that, that, that's pretty much uh, an average day. And then, I mean, today I couldn't get to a high school practice because, uh, football media availability, but you know, two or three times per week, try to get to a high school practice if at all possible. Um, again, sometimes that's a key. Sometimes that's actually an IU target. Sometimes it's, Hey, there's a young freshman at such and such school. Okay, call the coach. Hey, what time are you practicing? Okay, try to go on Thursday, watch the kid practice. Um, and then once the season starts, the high school season, um, try to map it out to where, um, you know, I can go see as many players as is at all possible. I try to absolutely max out the number of times you can see players because the more you see players, the more you understand what they're actually good at, um, what are their strengths and weaknesses. What is repetitive? Um, a lot of kids who are going to get recruited at the IU level, or even looked at, they're capable of being great. 
Okay. But if you watch a kid play just a couple times and he's great both times, maybe you don't see weaknesses. You need to see weaknesses. I like to see guys play on the road. I want to see what happens when somebody's yelling, yelling at him, you know, when the opposing student section's chanting at him, when somebody's calling your mama a name. Can you, can you stay focused or do you get rattled? Um, try to get a handle on competitive makeup. I like to see them playing games, not necessarily when their team loses, but when their team is definitely challenged. And I really like to see games when they're down in the second half. You know, how do you respond? Because at the high major level, you're going to have bad nights and the ball's not always going to go in the basket and you're going to be behind. And, okay, what do you do then? Um, so I really try to max out the number of times you can you can see players. Um, so I try to watch as many games as I can. And then usually in the evening, you know, like between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., a lot of times spend time on the DVR, either rewatching the IU game. Um, but I usually try to rewatch the IU game the, the day after it was played. Um, and then I'll try to watch upcoming opponents if they've been on TV and just try to watch as many teams from around the country as possible. What time do you go to bed? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say probably around one thirty or 2 a.m. most days. Yeah, I was, if that, because there have been times, Ravi, where I've texted you about something crazy, and it's like 3 in the morning your time, and you are up. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very true. So I, I can my, my problem is once I start watching basketball, whether it's like going back to AAU stuff on the laptop or whether I'm watching, especially if I'm watching a future IU opponent or whatever, I've got like these notebooks that I keep and I'm a complete dork, but I've got like a notebook just, you know, just labeled future IU opponents. So anytime I watch somebody, you know, I mean, I, I watched Ohio state play uh, Lehigh the other day, you know, and just, okay, they're going to, he's going to play them at some point in time. Let's see what they look like right now. Uh, and I'm sitting there just making notes. And then, then I've got, you know, a notebook that's for, you know, AAU film, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's out there and there's a lot of, a lot of high schools that have given me access to various things. So there's a lot of stuff I can see. So I got a notebook and it, it, it's once the work brain kicks in, it's like, for some reason, it takes a long time for me to get tired. <laughs> well, and I know that's probably really goofy to say out loud, but it's just what happens. I, I'd say passion is energizing, but of all these things of a self-proclaimed basketball nerd with some football thrown in there these days for, for pigs, what is your happiest place? I mean, besides doing this podcast with us, you know, of, of, well, of all course. those, you have all those different things going on in a different day, which sound fun and interesting in their, their own way. But where is your Zen? Oh, watch, watching prospects play mm. because you're, you're, you're watching players develop and you're either watching somebody for the first time and you get the first look or you're watching them. Hey, they're a sophomore now or junior. Let's see what they've improved on. Um, you know, if you're, if they're a senior, you're really dialing in on strengths and weaknesses. Um, but I, I could sit in a gym and watch players and film them and take notes all day long. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons I really like AAU because you can see so many different guys between like 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. And yeah, there may be a clear IU target playing only twice, but there's a whole bunch of other guys playing. And so you, it's, I really enjoy sitting there studying players. What do they do? Has their body changed? Are they more athletic than last year? Are they the same? Have they grown? Have they added a skill? Uh, what skills have they added? Are, are there things that are more impactful than they were before? Are they more competitive? Are they less competitive? Um, you know, can they function in crunch time? And I, I can just sit there in the gym and watch guys play all day and be very, very happy. Well, I can speak for Ward and I can speak for tens of thousands of Pigs fans that our happy place 
is when we see Jeff Rabjohns has posted an article on Peegs, when we find out that Rabby's going to be in chat, when we go to the message boards and see that Rabjohns has left the last message. And when we find out Rabby's going to be at the Bluebird on Saturday. When we find out he's going to be at the Bluebird, and we find out that we can get Rabby to talk to us about basketball on a podcast. Rabby, you make uh, following Indiana basketball just so much fun. Your insight, your objectivity, your sense of humor. I like it when you mix it up with assholes on the board. I'll just say that. I like it. It makes me happy. Uh, you are our happy place from an Indiana fan's perspective. We we cannot imagine what, what it is to follow Indiana without you being there. And we thank Mike Pegram for having the wisdom to get you out of that old media stuff and bring you into the new world. We, uh, we love it. We love that you are willing to do this with us. And we cannot wait to see you in person in six days, or, I, yeah, six days. Yeah, I no, get five I, days. Five days, and I get to meet you in person for the first time. I'm gonna shake this man's hand. Man, you guys are you guys are so kind. I really appreciate it. I do. And uh, you know, Eric, you and I have talked a lot. You you know how much I love this stuff. Um, and and but your words are, are very meaningful to me, and I very very much appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. We will. Uh, let's hope Indiana has a good game tomorrow. So Archie's in a good mood after the game for your questions. Uh, which, by the way, you are the only guy that gets him to laugh during the press conferences, which I appreciate. And uh, <laughs> well, we, we we talk a little bit now and then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So uh, we'll see you Saturday. All right, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, Saturday, it's going to be a blast. Well, Ward, this is the last time we will sign off on a podcast before the event. Yeah, we're going to be surrounded by hysterics in a few days. It's not just you and me in a garage. No. You've been back there. You've been you've mixed it up with uh, handfuls of hysterics here and there. This, to me, is going to be like a, a baptismal of, of hysterics, a sea of hysterics in the Bluebird. It's going to be amazing. It, it's going to be crazy. Uh, doors open at noon. Uh, we will have the football game. It starts at noon. Um, if you are listening to this podcast and don't have tickets and still want them— uh, the the fans who did reserve tickets have been really great about letting me know if they can't come, and then I open them back up on the market. So please go to eventbrite.com, search for Hoosier Hysterics, and just check back in if you want tickets. You can also reach out to us if you want to reach out to us via tweet, Twitter, at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics, and let me know that you really want tickets. When some open up, we can we can take care of you that way as well. I just can't wait for it. I'm nervous as hell. And, uh, uh, yeah, I've been telling Eric it's it comes through in waves like last night when I realized we were now in the week yeah, of the homecoming butterflies, just butterflies just churning up totally. in my stomach. I'm like, whoa, it's happening. I, I was told uh, that uh, being excited and being nervous are the same exact physiological conditions, that your body reacts exactly the same. So when you are nervous, just tell yourself it's, it's just because you're excited. So I've tried that. It has not worked. I'm still really <laughs> nervous. But I'm really excited to to see everybody there. And uh, we will post uh, the podcast uh, at some point soon thereafter that we do from the Bluebird. And uh, it's going to be really fun. Travel, travel safe. Some of you are flying in like we are. Uh, most of you are driving in. Uh, so just be safe. And we're going to have a great, 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 great time this weekend. One more great. Super great. Take care, everybody. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang on all the banner. Us two goofy.
you guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.